You'll learn to play in time, Ahsoka. Someday, you'll even beat me. <laughs> it's not that. What's on your mind? I've been mostly unsure about my abilities on my own. Usually Master Skywalker is there to guide me. When I was queen, I felt the same insecurities as you do now. I had my advisors, but it was ultimately up to me to run the entire Naboo system. And I was very afraid at times. Really? You felt unsure? <laughs> oh, yes. But I have learned to trust in myself, and you will too. Thank you. One more game? Absolutely. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! On this episode, Ahsoka Tano is tormented by visions of an assassination attempt on Padme Amidala. So the young Padawan joins the heroic senator as bodyguard on Padme's refugee mission and foils the dastardly plot of the devious Aura Singh to save the day. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the Padme to my Ahsoka. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. And does that work, Robbie? Are you the Padme to my Ahsoka? I don't know if that one really works. What the hell? Let's run with it. Yeah, who cares? Let's run with it. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> and we're going to talk about the 47th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology, Season 3, Episode 7, Assassin. So, Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about this episode before you rewatched it again this week? You know, as it started, I couldn't remember exactly how things went down, but very quickly I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I remember this one. And of course, it starts off with that, at least to me, it was kind of a, like a, what, what? The whole uh, Aura Singh being dead thing, you know? And it was like, okay. Right. I was like, I was surprised that they thought she was dead because I just watched Solo. Right. And. You know, Lando's talking to Beckett, and he says, you know, you're the man who killed Ara Singh. So I was like, okay, wait, she's not dead, so what's going on here? Wait a minute. So it, it caught me off guard. And to be clear, when you're watching these things again after you watched them years prior, there's going to be things that you don't remember how things went down, and you don't remember exactly... Sure. It's like you remember bits and pieces from it but you don't remember the whole thing so a lot of times it's just me kind of rediscovering what i'd already seen and it's just like constant reminders like oh yeah yeah oh yeah okay sure so for me this one was just uh like i said it caught me off guard at first but it was uh yeah it's a fun one yeah if we're going to talk about or saying we're sort of skipping to near the end of the episode but i'm, I'm happy to do that robbie because <laughs> when ahsoka says to aura sing that she's surprised that aura's back to work so soon after ahsoka left her for dead in the crash ship aura replies well a girl's gotta make a living and once again a big part of what makes aura sing really pop as a character for me or i guess what makes aura sing sing as a character for me is this performance of jamie king her delivery this really brings this character to life for me where like with all the best actors when you experience the performance you feel that this is a living breathing character who has a history this is not just someone doing a voice for a cartoon it feels like a real character and when Oresting speaks I kind of I feel the weight of her experiences every time she speaks even if she's just tossing off flippant one-liners there's just a depth and a roundedness to the performance 
even with little things like when Aura responds to Padme asking Aura why she's doing this when it won't make any difference to the cause and Aura just laughs and she kind of tosses her head back and she says honey this isn't about your cause this is about revenge and just the way she delivers all these lines she's not phoning it in like she's committed I guess the commitment is the main thing and maybe we might ding Aura Singer point for failing the mission and getting taken out at the end but I'm not going to ding her too much and like I've said in a previous episode she's still my number one bounty hunter even over and above Cad Bane not only because she's never looked super goofy flailing around hopelessly above a fan (laughs) but because there's some depth and some substance to the character that, at least at this point, Cad Bane doesn't have. And I'm prepared to admit there's recency bias here because we haven't seen Cad Bane for a while. And we've seen a bunch of Aura Singh, but this is a whole bunch of me talking. Robbie, what are you? How did you like Aura Singh in this episode? Oh, I mean, I will never, ever argue that she's not an interesting character. You know, that she doesn't have, like you said, just depth and the way that she almost, in a lot of ways, she's a lot like Ventress in the way that she's enjoying it maybe a bit too much you know right it's like she right. just loves what she does and i mean you know that's what they say right that's their palpatine thing as well right that's what you remember you saying that about palpatine and it's always stuck with me stuck with me yeah yeah and it's if you enjoy what you do you'll never work a day in your life Yep. i think that's one of the things about jamie's performance in this is that it seems effortless yeah it's not of course i mean if if you've done any sort of acting or even attempting to to act you know that it takes work there's a craft to it and she really pulls that off in this character i think so i mean it's always fun to watch our Singh do her thing and it's also always fun to watch of course robbie ahsoka tana do her thing and even though i'm a fan of Kevin Kiner's score, we don't tend to bring it up in every episode unless there's some stylistic flourish which stands out as something which is maybe unlike most of what we think of as Star Wars music, right? Like the Indian vibes which often play when Hondo's around or the didgeridoo from the ambush episode, things that really stand out. But I did make a note here of the very pretty kind of wistful take on Ahsoka's theme which accompanies the early moments of the story where Ahsoka is pleading with Anakin to let her come with him and she tries the angle of Anakin needing her to watch his back. And that angle doesn't work. And so when that doesn't work, she tries another angle. How about how you always say that I learn more when I'm out in the field than when I'm at the Jedi Temple. And of course, Anakin is, has his mind made up. He's, and he replies, well, think of this as a chance to prove me wrong. And man, maybe it was kind of a cheap shot to play that really super pretty take on her theme over Ahsoka longing to go with her master. But man, it really worked on me. And of course, as always seems to happen when Anakin and Ahsoka have these quieter moments, I end up wondering about what's in store for their relationship. Given that, I know a lot about, I mean, we all know a lot about where Anakin's path leads, but we know much less, or at least those of us who are rookies in this show, we know much less about where Ahsoka's path leads. And as I've said before, if it's hitting a rookie like me in the heart, then for those of you who have done this journey before and become big Ahsoka fans, really big Ahsoka fans, and know where this goes, it has to hit you even harder in the heart, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like what it what it feels like a lot to me is... And this isn't, I wouldn't consider this to be like a spoiler or anything like that, but the way that there's a bittersweetness to the scene where Anakin says goodbye to Obi-Wan when he's going to search for Grievous, because that's the last time that they meet his friends, right? Right In Revenge of the Sith. And it's one of those moments that especially the way that, I remember Obi-Wan is walking off and Anakin is kind of still smiling and then it just fades and you see that 
It's like, man, if only Obi-Wan was around yeah. when all this stuff went down, it may not have happened the same way. And you kind of think, well, that had to be Palpatine, right? Right. Palpatine was, he knew that he needed Obi-Wan away from him. And so it's, anyway, what I'm trying to say is there's a bittersweetness for sure with r- almost every single one of their exchanges, especially when it's like this, where it's a, you know, it's a quieter moment. It's not a, you know, hey, go do this and you know, cover me when I, while I do, you know, all that kind of stuff. This is a quieter moment. And yeah, I mean, it's actually very effective. And of course, we cut straight from that scene of Anakin leaving Ahsoka behind straight to Ahsoka's nightmare vision. And it kind of cuts in out of nowhere. And at first, it's a little bit disorienting because one minute she's just walking off the platform. Next minute, we're in this nightmare vision. Well, we don't, I mean, those of us who have never seen the episode before, we have no idea what's going on and of course if we see none other than dun 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 or a thing is there in the nightmare and i think this is the first time so far in the show that we've seen force visions is it not robbie yeah i'm i'm almost positive it is and it's if you really kind of pay attention to it i mean it is almost it looks exactly like anakin's visions in revenge of the Sith. right so I mean, I got to be honest. Like I said, I you know how I, I was trying to explain this earlier is that, you know, I I don't always remember exactly how things would go down. I was thinking, wait a minute, whose vision is this? Is this so See, I think that's where like you said it was it was kind of jarring when they they almost cut directly to it. I almost kind of feel like they were trying to do a little bit of tension right there. I I agree with you. I liked to be clear, I liked how jarring it was and I liked that it threw me off balance because that would be how it hits Ahsoka, right? It makes us, like Ahsoka gets taken by surprise by it. She's never had one before, we assume. So yeah, I just want to be clear. I'm not, this is, when I say it's jarring, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's a good thing. I'm saying it works, it really works. Right, and I think, I mean, I think that's why they did it. But as you said, it was jarring enough that I wasn't, I I wasn't clear whose vision it was. Sure. And then, you know, of course, then you see that it's Ahsoka and you're like, okay. But yeah, it was, it was a little jarring at first, for sure. Yeah, and of course, those visions ramp up in freakiness to the point that the one which ends <laughs> with Aura Singh seeming to crouch down next to Ahsoka's sleeping face and telling Ahsoka, it's begun. I got goosebumps, brother. And she, I just got goosebumps <laughs> against Santa right now. Between the spooky visuals and the sound design and the buildup of tension, just it was. I just thought that the filmmaking was really effective in those i think they are really well done and of course before we get to that point though ahsoka goes to visit master yoda as as you would if you're on coruscant and you're getting forces in fact anytime wouldn't you try and drip on a must if, if you know master yoda's up there in his office or, or in that room you would go and see master yoda well, you, <laughs> i just I'd be pictured him for the time <laughs> i just pictured him behind a desk with you know with yeah. knickknacks and stuff you know and yeah <laughs> with a little nameplate master yoda yeah but anyway go ahead i'm sure i'd be i'd be bothering the heck out of him we'd be knocking the door and he'd be rolling his eyes yes Mucho another one yeah this kid again and here we get to see Ahsoka be coached by Yoda to meditate on her dreams because they're premonitions he says and of course there's nothing better than seeing Master Yoda guide someone who's learning about the force and this goes back to those scenes on Dagobah Robbie you know those scenes on Dagobah some of your favorite scenes in all of Star Wars maybe right oh yeah No, no question those are my favorite and here, of course, he tells Ahsoka, So, you'll begin to see the true power of the Force. And just these really simple things where Master Yoda says it and he's saying it to a Jedi learner just it works so well. 
And there's almost nothing better in the world than hearing Master Yoda talk like that. Where he's not talking about political intrigue or battle plans or holocron heists. He's just letting us know more about what the Force means to him. And of course he tells Ahsoka, Visions they are. Underestimate them. You must not. And he tells Ahsoka to meditate on those visions. So how do you like seeing those scenes of Master Yoda counseling Ahsoka, Robbie? Yeah, I Empire is one of my favorite movies because of all the, the Yoda knowledge in it. I, I mean... I've always been big into the the mysticism of the Force and Yoda being the wisest of all the Jedi Masters, right? I mean, of course, I'm going to love pretty much anything with Yoda. And I really enjoyed this combination of Yoda and Ahsoka. And there's also, this might be strange to, to say, you know, seven episodes into the third season, but it almost, a scene like this almost legitimizes Ahsoka as being... A real Star Wars character to me. I mean, this is, it's something that I felt watching this that, of course, you know, I accept Ahsoka, no problem. But to me, it's almost like a, almost like a re-verification of her. And it just, you know what I'm, I, I, am I making I any sense? I don't actually know what you're saying, but uh, it's interesting. Keep, yeah, keep, because I've, I mean, pretty much accepted it from the start. I, I guess, I guess I kind of get where you're going, but you're going to need to keep going there to explain it because I'm not 100% with you. It's almost like when you see a movie with a character that you really like. I, I guess the only the, the only examples that I can that I'm thinking of right now are like the MCU right. kind of movies, you know, where sometimes they'll do you know these these one-off sort of movies and they kind of feel like their own thing. But when they bring them in, I was thinking about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Is what I was trying to say. Okay, it's like it, it, it almost legitimizes them in a way, and it kind of vindicates them in a way when you see them right next to Iron Man and Captain America. And you, I, right. I don't know if that makes sense, but for me, that's what it's like. And it's almost like when you see, like, say, an actor that you really like, and then you know you you've watched them in a couple of movies, and you're like, man, he's really good. And then you see him in a big tentpole movie with a big A-list actor. And you're like, there you go. See, now you're you're vindicated as one of the guys, or as one of the right. one of the group. And to me, this scene, I mean, of course, I loved it, but I don't know. It just it puts Ahsoka in that listing with the best characters in Star Wars to me. And I don't know. There's, I get very, uh, I'm very protective of Star Wars. You know, when people right. criticize it, maybe unfairly. That's up to you know, it's all subjective. But for me watching this it's like i mean this is star wars you know and this is this is why i think that anybody who's a fan of star wars the movies this is one of those scenes that legitimizes not only ahsoka but it legitimizes this cartoon legitimizes this medium of telling stories i don't know maybe i'm getting too i don't know i don't know i don't even know what you call this (laughs) no it's interesting because I mean, we've obviously seen Ahsoka do a bunch of work with Anakin and with Obi-Wan, and she's interacted and talked to Yoda before. I guess the difference with this scene is that before it's been when she's reporting to the council, right? Mm -hmm. And Yoda's there. So it's not that she hasn't met Yoda before, but this is the first time she's gone to get guidance from, I guess, the number one, you know, the boss, the boss of the Jedi. Yeah. The main man. And you you kind of feel like it's one thing to be in a room with all those people, but to have a one-on-one conversations. Right. Not only that, but repeated conversations. That's when it came up was like on the second or third scene of them together. It was just like, man, I really like this. Yeah. This is this is really cool to for them to show this, that they continue to have these conversations and Yoda is continuing to mentor her. I mean, it's just it's just good stuff to me. I mean, I don't know. I love it. 
Yeah, man, I loved it too. And of course, Master Yoda isn't the only one who has some guidance to offer Ahsoka in this episode. We also see Ahsoka confide in Luke and Leia's mom, Robbie, at Senator Padme Amidala. And gosh darn it, Robbie, if that scene didn't also hit me right in the feels with Ahsoka expressing her doubts over her own abilities whenever she doesn't have a Jedi Master around, in particular Anakin, of course, to counsel her. And that's when Padme lets Ahsoka know that when Padme was a very young queen, she also had doubts galore and she was afraid at times, but that she in time learned to trust herself and she believes that Ahsoka will too, which of course makes Ahsoka feel better. And of course, again, there's a very pretty piece of music score in that scene to, you know, push push those buttons. But man, in that moment, when you think about how Padme never got to be Luke and Leia's mom, so it's almost heartbreakingly lovely to see Padme get to nurture our favorite little Jedi Padawan like this and Padme even responds to Ahsoka perking up and asking if Padme wants to play one more game of Dejarik and she gives Ahsoka this like heart melting little motherly squeeze and a little shake of the shoulders and we talk about we sometimes talk about how cool the animation is in battle scenes and facial expressions and this is just a real simple little moment of tenderness perfectly animated just what it reminded me of was Numa. We talked about Numa when she does that little jump from one foot to the other thing while she's <laughs> doubting whether she should follow Waxer and Boyle. And it's the thing you've seen kids do, right? It's like, it's so real. In this moment when Padme does that little squeeze and shake of Ahsoka, I've seen that, man. I've seen mothers do that to kids, you know, to reassure them and to be affectionate and you know and gosh darn it you know that I'm a construction worker and I'm from a country whose national sport is rugby and they're like you my favorite sport is cage fighting soon and you know I'm pretty rough around the edges in a lot of ways but man I have to admit this episode was repeatedly at least in the first seven or eight minutes repeatedly hitting me right in the feels and after that scene was when I looked up the details of who made this episode and it turns out it was directed by Kyle Dunleavy who also made Cat and Mouse which we really liked and the Mandalore plot as well as a bunch of upcoming episodes and it was written by Katie Lucas herself. So <laughs> that's another um, whole bunch of me talking, Robbie. What, how did you like the interactions between Padme and Ahsoka in this episode? You know, it's funny that, you know, I see things from my own point of view. I mean, we all do, right? It's all subjective. But, it's all from a certain point of view. Exactly. But like when I listen to you talk about that, it's so much different than the way I took it in, you know? Like okay. for me, it was, it was, <laughs> I don't know. Come on, Robbie. I say it. I think I find that it was. Uh, it's kind of like a lot of times in this show, it's like they don't exactly know what to do with their hands. And there was, <laughs> there was, there was a moment. I don't remember what, you know, which part in the conversation. But Padme reaches out and is like around Ahsoka's head. And it was like, it just seemed really <laughs> awkward to me. I didn't me. notice any of this. And it all seemed so natural to me. So what's funny is, is like, you know, you got this very, you know, warm feeling from it. And, you know, for me, I was just distracted by how awkward it seemed. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe that says a lot about me that maybe I didn't get enough, uh, you know, nurturing as a child. But for me, it just seemed very awkward. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's it really is if you think about it. To a certain extent, you know, you, you if you think about the dynamic between Padme and Anakin, right? They're married at this point. Sure. So in a lot of ways, Padme may view Ahsoka as much of a Padawan to her as she is to Anakin. So right. what you're saying makes perfect sense. And it makes it even more heartwarming when you think of it that way. But for some reason, I just, I was not thinking about that in that moment. It was just, I don't know, it was a little funny to me. 
Yeah, that's funny. Now I want to rewatch the scene because it just it just hit me as so natural. Well, you know, one yeah. of the most moment, one of the most natural moments in the whole show for me so far. See, that's what's weird is I want to watch it again for the exact same reason, but on from your point of view to try to see that what you're saying. I mean, I still think that the little squeeze at the end was, you know, that was that was cute, but there were moments in that it just seemed <laughs> it just seemed strange. It was like she was. I don't know. It I was gotta just watch it, weird. man. Now you make me really want to watch it, but uh, <laughs> we'll have to wait till we finish recording because right now uh, we still got to talk about how at one point Padme tells Ahsoka that while she believes in Ahsoka and that the threat on her life is real, she can't stop living her life and hide herself away from it. And this is somewhat akin to a real-world message we often hear about how the best way to respond to something like, say, a terror attack is to not let it cow you into submission. And it's... I guess it's also kind of one of those, you know, you got to get back on the horse things, right? It's that old saying, get back on the horse. If, if you get bucked off, get back on the horse. And once again, or maybe get back on the tauntaun, it is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, once again, uh, I just thought it was a really effective moment, especially when we've recently talked about maybe an episode or two where the messaging has felt very heavy-handed and the characters didn't necessarily feel as consistent as maybe they could. Here it felt, to me, a lot more organic to the story and to the characters. Oh, I will definitely agree with that, that I I wish you could pinpoint it because it's one of those things that if you can pinpoint that in the storytelling, then you can make it that way all the time, right? But this is one of those where even though I wouldn't say that, you know, this is like one of my favorite episodes ever, it was really, really well done. There is a comfort in feeling that you're in good hands when you're watching the show. And this is one of those episodes where I feel like, yeah, they're firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I thought it was really just a, a wonderfully made episode. And something I was uh, very happy with again in this episode was we get to meet Bail Organa again, Robbie, for the first time, I think, since Supply Lines, is it? All the way back in Supply Lines, which was, is that the fourth? I think that was the fourth episode of the chronology. And, you know, unless I'm mistaken, this is the first time since then. And I have to admit that the pace of this mission that we're all on here to watch all of these episodes one a day and to record them, it means that some of where we've been might be a little bit of a blur. So maybe we have run into bail again along the way. I, and I just can't remember it. So apologies if that's the case. But either way, it was really sweet to see bail again. And I do distinctly remember from Supply Lines just how it struck me, just how noble and classy and reassuring is. I remember thinking he's just a real solid dude. And I enjoyed seeing that. And here in this episode, that view of him is only enhanced with the way that he responds to the attempt on Padme's life where he backs Ahsoka up, he stops thinking about his own cause and he just makes Padme's life the number one priority. And of course, Padme is resistant to that idea. I mean, we've remarked before how Padme is a a leader who always puts the needs of others ahead of her own safety and she does that again here and that's why she's my hero and why I want to be just like Padme when I grow up, Roby. <laughs> but just coming back to Bale for a moment, I just got to say when you see him in this show and especially actually when he's with Padme sharing scenes like this, it's no wonder that my other hero, Leia Organa, turned out to be so gosh darn magnificent when she was brought up by this dude Bale, right, Roby? Yeah, I mean, that's... I remember in... Episode three, we get a very, 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 very brief glimpse of Alderaan right. and Bail Organa in his element, right? I mean, that's his home. That's, that ends up being Princess Leia's home. You know, we don't get to see her live a lot of that, but sure. it's one of those things where I always wanted more Alderaan because it looks gorgeous. It looks beautiful. And of course, Bail Organa is that fatherly figure that he's a fun character because he's just, he, he just... <laughs> he bleh, he fly bleh. 
He carries himself. I'm trying to think of he. He's solid, reassuring. Yeah, but no, he. Trustworthy, reliable. No, I know, but he has a sweet beard. He does, but no, he. He just kind of is it exudes. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, he exudes, man. Exudes. That dude exudes class. He and noble nobility. Assuredness. He exudes assuredness. That's, what, that's the word that I was trying to come. And, and like I said, it's that fatherly figure. Yeah. That he just he seems to just. Yeah, he exudes that. Okay, so he there does you go. exude There's- that. <laughs> I agree with you, Robbie. <laughs> maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to just like start that whole sentence over again. <laughs> no, it's so good, Robbie. I think you exuded what you wanted to say. Exactly. Right. Let's say, yeah, I think you exuded your feelings for Bale. No, I agree with you. <laughs> and speaking of Bale, there was a moment where I noticed. Oh, we got to go back a bit to near the start of the episode. Ahsoka's paranoia becomes a little contagious at times. After we've seen these visions, I think she's had two, she's had three visions by the time they land on Alderaan and they're led away by Bale and the camera just lingers on one of Padme's Senate commandos in the background for maybe just half a second longer than they usually would maybe. And at the moment I'm thinking, uh uh-oh, we've got to watch these Senate commandos, you know, someone disguised the Aura Sings wearing Senate and of course it turns out not to be true, but because the episode is so well made, because the paranoia of Ahsoka is so well handled and so well built up. I just, I don't know if you had the same thing. I just started to question everything. You know, where is Orison coming from? Where is she going to come from? And that just, it probably didn't linger half a second longer on that center commando just in the background, just after Ahsoka walked out of the frame. But for me, all of a sudden, I'm hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant for every little thing. Where is this threat going to come from? Did you get anything like that? Yeah, I mean, and it's something that they do. I'm not sure if I've... uh in fact, I'm almost positive I hadn't brought it up on the show, but it is something that they do on purpose. I mean, it's, you know, it's a storytelling technique, right? It's just like when, you know, that first vision starts off and you don't know what's going on. It's a way of keeping you off balance as a as a viewer, you know, because you're you almost like, okay, are they did they do that on purpose? Was that was that intentional? I mean, that's part of the thing. And since this whole episode is about that paranoia, I mean, I think it's a very effective technique on, on uh, getting that that feeling across. Yeah, and in cinema, one of the most effective ways to build tension in a thriller like this episode, which also involves visions, is to show a repeated image or a repeated sequence in that vision. And here we get those visions which feature close-up shots of Aura Singh assembling her rifle. And so when it comes to the day of the speech and we see the close-up shots of Aura Singh actually there above the hall, actually assembling the rifle, just like happened in the visions, we really get pulled to the edge of our seats. That was, I mean... Are we getting repetitive with how much we're talking about how good the filmmaking is in this episode, Robbie? Shall I move on to Zero the Heart at this point? Because Zero's in this episode, Robbie. Shall I just move on to Zero? Sure. Let's move on to Zero. Your old mate, Zero the Heart. How did you like his response to Anakin introducing Ahsoka when Zero just seems to giggle at the word Padawan, right? He says, this is my Padawan Ahsoka. Zero just goes, <laughs> Padawan, as if the word is ridiculous to him. And how did you like Zero's spluttering after he falls for Ahsoka's bluff about Aura Singh, telling them everything? And then Zero's tantrum when he realizes that Ahsoka had played him. He's, Zero goes on a roller coaster throughout this scene, Robbie. And then the episode, of course, closes with the echoes of Zero's threat that Ahsoka will pay for this and that she has no idea of what Zero is capable of, capable of, capable of, capable of, capable of, right? How did you, I mean, how did you enjoy seeing Rob May Zero again, Robbie? He makes an impression. He definitely does make an impression. 
I can't say it's for me. It's a good one. Uh, I just look. I'm just not a fan of Zero. I'm not a fan of the. I guess it's because uh, I've always thought of the Huts as being very uh, mysterious, and part of that is because they don't speak English. So to see this big slug with this voice and speaking English, <laughs> right. it just it pulls me out of it, and I just go, "That's weird to me," because I don't know. I guess I just I have always saw I've always seen the huts as as being and a, you know you you could use the argument that yeah gangsters are different you know all all gangsters are different they're not all the same but I don't know there's just something about them that I'm I'm not crazy about the design so and I'm not crazy about the voice <laughs> and the I mean I love it's just the voice, so man. it's kind of like see for me it's like I, I almost like okay here we go I mean. I don't get a, you know, what's going to happen next. So it almost draws me out of the story enough to make me not I look, this is probably this is making me sound like a like a big baby or something. But it just <laughs> like a stinky or I mean, it just, you sound like stinky. I, I mean, I'm just trying to say it it draws me out of it almost to the point where I stop paying attention to what's going on because I'm just like, okay, can we just get past this? That's kind of how I feel whenever I see Zero. I mean, I'm sorry. If, if there are fans of Zero the Hut out there... Hey, I'm one of them. I apologize. I'm one of them, Robbie. On behalf of all the Zero fans out there, we accept your apology. And of course, you're not a big baby. And of course, uh, <laughs> part of the fun of the show wouldn't be it wouldn't be any fun if we just agreed on everything. I mean, and you know, a certain point of view and all that. We all have our own certain point of view. So yeah, I can dig it. I mean, the, I don't really want to repeat our discussion too much from the theatrical release episode. But yeah, like the weirdness is super... Jabba's palace to me. I mean, that's the one of the weirdest places we saw in Star Wars, for at least in the first three films, and so the Zero being that weird works for me. I'd, but like I said, I don't want to get repetitive. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not bringing anything new to the table by saying that because I already said it in the theatrical <laughs> release episode. But maybe one more character we want to talk about is Anakin. Even though he's barely in this episode, I felt that he was gold too. At to the start, there's that really sweet scene with him and Ahsoka, of course. And then near the end, when Padme and Ahsoka return to Coruscant, there's that quickness in his voice that really betrays his emotion at seeing Padme hurt. And he's trying to keep it cool and not let on, you know, his feelings for Padme to the people that are around him that aren't Padme. But him knowing just how close she must have come to everything being much worse, you know, that really plays out in his voice. And that's Matt Lanter again doing really really top-notch work and of course there's also a scene that you probably didn't appreciate as much as me that that little quick glance of surprise and amusement and i believe even a little pride at ahsoka when she bluffs zero that aura Singh had uh, told them about everything but did that i mean did you at least like that but robbie or were you zoned out well i was zoned out a little bit i, I have to be honest but matt lanter is doing amazing work as anakin yeah so I, i'm really excited of course, that he's going to be back in, in season seven, yeah. you know, doing some work there. I just think that that guy has, even though he's, in a way, he's very separate from what we knew at that point, right? From the Hayden, Christensen, Anakin. But it's just, it's so well done. And I love his, like you said, it's almost a betrayal of his, the Jedi ways, right? Of, of just him being so concerned about Padme. And, I mean, his delivery is just perfect. I mean, it's just been perfect. Yeah. I love the. I mean, like I said, Anakin's barely in this episode, but I just had to put a note down about him just because it was so well handled, like almost everything else about the episode. And speaking of which, Robbie, this is a pretty long, 
we better get to our favorite shot of the episode because this is getting we've <laughs> been talking for what it seems like we've definitely talked for longer than the episode itself but hey let's talk about our favorite shot of the episode what was your favorite shot of assassin as i'd said before i mean i'm a huge fan of alderaan and seeing alderaan again is always gonna be I mean, Alderaan's like my cor- Coruscant, you know? Sure. It's like, I, you know, you live on Coruscant, but you vacation to Alderaan, you know? Okay. And to me, Alderaan is just, I love the way that it looks. It's like perpetually in the, in the magic hour, you know? And it just looks fantastic. And it's the arrival scene that I liked. I mean, of course, the balcony scene looks great too, but the arrival scene is just, it's majestic. Yep. It's awesome. I mean, I, there's, the, yeah. So that's my, uh, that's my shot of the episode. Yeah, I can't say it any better, Robbie. That's exactly the shot that I chose too. So let's talk about what did we learn from Assassin, Robbie? Shall I go first? Sure. Because mine's real simple. I learned that Ahsoka is even more awesome than I'd thought, and that Padme is even more awesome than I thought, and that Bale is even more awesome than I thought, and that Aura Singh is even more awesome than I'd previously thought. <laughs> That's what I learned from Assassin, Robbie. What did you learn from Assassin? Well... I mean, from my perspective, what I learned is that if you're going to attempt an assassination of a senator, you might try a slightly different method the next time. Sure. I mean, you're in a vent again. Yeah. But that brings up an interesting question. I mean, at the risk of going even longer, why wouldn't they leave some protection for Padme? Don't just just sit in that room with all of these vents. It just seems like a very strange thing for them to do that. They underestimated Aura Singh, Robbie. I guess so. Underestimate Aura Singh at your peril. So let's sum up, Robbie, and let's give our ratings. And you want to know how much I love this episode, Robbie? I do. After I finish watching an episode, one of the things I do is to cut maybe two or three audio clips of my favorite lines of dialogue so that when it comes time to put our episode together, I have a couple of options for what we open our episode with. And it's usually two or three clips, sometimes four And the most clips I've cut for an episode before this one was five. Well, for Assassin Robbie, I cut six clips. You want to know how much I love this episode, Robbie? Yes. I loved it so much, I'm not even going to do my dumb joke about taking points off for there being no Padme spinning kicks in this episode, Robbie. (laughs) Assassin is nine Ahsoka Force Visions out of ten, Robbie. Like you said... It was a really well-made episode, right? <laughs> Robbie, really well-made, you said. I remember you saying that. So where does Assassin sit on that four-star Robbie scale? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Robbie. So, where does it sit? So for me, this episode is... It's not my favorite episode. It's got some characters I'm not fond of. It may not have... Wait, just one character, right? Just zero. Right. Singular. Right. But there's so much I love about this episode. So for me, this is a worth watching. So I'm giving it a three out of four stars. Not 3.25, maybe. (laughs) No, I think three out of four is good. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough, Robbie. Well, that is mission accomplished for season three, episode seven, Assassin. So Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know what are our communications channels? Sure. We are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail on Twitter and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 48th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's season three, episode two, Arc Troopers. And until then, this is your old buddy Bucho alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Ah!
Remember, you can support Sending the Clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Pucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Pucho and Robbie at gmail.com. The force will be with you always.